Hello, and welcome to the Play Notes podcast, where we give you the inside scoop on the main stage productions at Portland Stage. I'm Maura O'Sullivan. And I'm Nick Hone. And in addition to being apprentices at Portland Stage, we are also your hosts for the season. Today, we will be introducing you to the story of Sherlock Holmes, The Final Adventure by Stephen Dietz, based on the 1899 play by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and William Gillette. And stay tuned for an interview with returning director Kevin R. Free for an exclusive peek into the rehearsal process. So, Nick, here we are talking about the man himself, Sherlock Holmes. The man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to think of the first time I got to know him. And I had a book of the stories that I got at the library book sale as a kid and read cover to cover on a family road trip in the back of a minivan. And I just thought it was the most brilliant thing. And I was so into it. My parents had to be like, we're, you know, at a lake. Like, can you focus? (laughs) Can you stop solving mysteries for just one second? We're trying to have fun at the lake. (laughs) I think my first exposure to the like iconic original Sherlock was probably through pieces of media like the Peanuts or something like seeing other characters dress up with the the deerstalker cap and the and the pipe and being like oh what's that yes exactly I think we as a society understand that that's what a detective looks like before we even mm-hmm. read Sherlock yeah I definitely agree but where does that image come from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and William Gillette. Do you want to give our readers a little taste of what's in store for them when they come to see the final adventure? Oh, absolutely. So we begin in 1893 London, where we as the audience join Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson on two of the detectives' most daring cases, a scandal in Bohemia and the adventure of the final problem. The narrator of our story is Dr. John Watson, Sherlock's assistant and only friend. And after some time apart, the dynamic duo reunites in perfect time to take on a new client, the King of Bohemia, who needs Holmes to retrieve a compromising photograph from the mysterious diva Irene Adler. As Sherlock investigates, he finds that he has met his match with Adler, who outsmarts him like few can. Holmes and Watson delve deeper and deeper into the mystery and discover that Sherlock's fiercest rival and the, quote, Napoleon of crime, unquote, Professor James Moriarty is at its center. As the threat of Moriarty looms closer and closer, Holmes and Watson team up with Irene Adler to obtain the King's photograph and defeat Moriarty and his comedic cronies once and for all. The trio embarks on a European adventure where Sherlock Holmes encounters a mystery unlike any he's seen, (gasps) a mystery of the heart. With Sherlock's best friend, greatest love, and most formidable enemy coming together, this really could turn out to be his final adventure. Sherlock Holmes' The Final Adventure is a thrilling romp in the best of ways. With the quick-thinking Sherlock Holmes and the loyal Watson, we follow the clues of the case through disguises, daring chases, and desperate circumstances for Holmes, leading all the way to the iconic Reichenbach Falls. Many adaptations have taken a camp or comic look at Holmes, Dietz remains faithful to the original stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, creating a production that is sure to delight those new to the consulting detective and well-versed fans alike. 
Okay, I don't know about you, but that sounds incredible. It sounds super interesting. I'm super excited to see it. I love that Stephen Dietz has taken two different stories and combined them. I only knew the final problem coming into it, so I didn't know the scandal in Bohemia at all. Mm, I was in the same spot. It's really smart the way he's written it because it weaves in the fun of solving a mystery with also this larger Mm -hmm. arc of Moriarty and Will... Sherlock ever defeat him and so it's really got like a light part it's got a clever part the scandal of Bohemia put into the outside framework of the adventure of the final problem really gives Moriarty something to do and so you can see how dangerous he is yes and something that I didn't realize is that Moriarty really doesn't come into play until the final problem in the original stories really Yeah, up until then, it had been just sort of mystery of the week, kind of, you know, different character. It's very law and order. It's very, you know, here's Mm -hmm. the crime of this story. But he hadn't gotten into a larger context until he started to think about the potential end of Sherlock and his career. Interesting. I know we've we've talked a little bit about Moriarty, but let's talk about some of the other characters that are coming into play. Yes. Okay. So we have Sherlock, the Mm -hmm. world's only consulting detective, a job I thought I could have (laughs) when I was younger. (laughs) He's witty. He's got a keen observation uh, skill. And he's also incredibly unpredictable because he's Mm -hmm. two steps ahead of everyone else, which is what makes him so exciting. And Sherlock has a sidekick. The classic Dr. John Watson, who is the narrator of our story. And throughout all of the Sherlock canon, he is our our human connection to this brilliant man. He is sort of representing the every person um, as a way in. He's loyal. He's brave. He takes on all these challenges right by his side. And he's a great, he's a great number two, I have to say. I'm always a fan of the sidekick characters personally. Yeah, you know, I think that it makes it so much more relatable to have Mm -hmm. the story told from someone who can see everything from the outside of Sherlock's mind. Giving the audience some way to self-insert into the the mystery. Yes, we're all Dr. Watson at one point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, but who I really wish I was is Irene Adler. Oh. She is an operatic diva and um, has an incredible voice, incredible talent, travels the world singing. And in this iteration, she is um, very much at the center of both the scandal in Bohemia and the final problem. She and Sherlock have a connection that no one expects. She challenges him and keeps him on his toes, which I love. They, they find equals in each other for maybe the first time. That is love, especially for Mm -hmm. Sherlock. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And next up, probably my favorite character in the stories, the Napoleon of crime. Moriarty is Sherlock's intellectual equal and opposite. Extremely intelligent, immoral, and power hungry. He is the villain of this story, and he is determined to destroy anything that gets in his path. I love a villain, I have to say. And what's so cool about Moriarty is he's also incredibly smart, very cunning, and yet cutthroat. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting to see a villain and a hero that operate as two sides of the same coin as opposed to opposing forces. So in addition to these staple characters that we do feel like we know so well, we also have this contingent of um, (laughs) hilarious cronies to Moriarty. 
you know, there's always some comedy to be had in criminals who can't seem to do it right. And in Mm -hmm. this iteration, we have three. So the first two are a set of siblings, actually, James and Madge Larrabee. James Larrabee is kind of a white-collar criminal, it seems like, in comparison to some of the other cronies we see. He's more smarmy and trying to think big picture, but unfortunately, he has found himself accidentally in love with Irene Adler. Yes, once again, Irene is so stunning that he couldn't resist, um, mm-hmm. and he loses he loses a little sight of his evil ways, I have to say. And in fact, is often in the show rebuked by his sister, Madge, who is relentless, nosy, and a self-described master of disguise. What's great about the two of them is they both think that they know better than the other one, which mm-hmm. if you've ever had a sibling, that's very real. <laughs> Can confirm. (laughs) Uh, In addition to the Sibs, we have Sid Prince, who is Moriarty's right-hand man. He's full of street smarts, and he's also the, the guy in charge of the safe. He's in charge of cracking the code, getting in, but I can't say he has found his footing yet. <laughs> he is the sort of logistics man for Moriarty's operation. He handles making people disappear. He's their chief burglar and maybe, maybe just a little bit haunted by the ghost of his friend. Ooh. Yes, yeah, his friend Colvin, who if you're a real Sherlock expert you might remember from another story this guns and cudgels man is on his own for the first time without his without his watson really Mm -hmm. so we have our crew of criminal cronies we love an alliteration and we also have to get the scandal in bohemia the only way to make it happen is to get the king of bohemia himself a roguish ostentatious, rich European nobleman. He rolls up into London all in a tizzy because of the loss of his rather compromising photograph that may make the royal wedding he is planning for himself very scandalous. Yes, the King of Bohemia is quite a character, one of the funniest people that you will experience in this show. And he is the classic client of Sherlock. He has tried everything in his power, which is a lot. He is a king. He's got resources and he hasn't been able to secure this photo. So Sherlock is his only hope, his Hail Mary (laughs) at this point. And he is simultaneously impressed by Sherlock, but also desperately trying to keep up with him. As most of the lay people, even noblemen in Sherlock's stories are, to them it it seems almost like magic when Sherlock comes to his conclusions. Some of the only times that his mysteries are explained are to Watson and therefore to the audience, but within universe, people like the King of Bohemia are often left far behind in the dust when Sherlock comes to his conclusions. What I think is so cool about what Conan Doyle did when he created Sherlock was he made it as exciting and um, fun as magically solving a mystery, but based it in fact and observation and science. And there's nothing that Sherlock uh, uses to solve his mystery that we couldn't if we really tried. We just don't pay attention in the same way that he does. 
which is is so cool and something that I think is is why the legacy had survived because he was the first one to ever do that. So now that I feel like we have a good sense of the players in this game that is afoot, we are going to transition into a little behind the scenes sneak preview of the rehearsal process. Mm-hmm. Our fellow apprentice, Audrey Erickson, who is assistant directing this show, has interviewed Kevin R. Free, our director extraordinaire, about uh, the experience working on the piece, their process, and they get into some really interesting discussions. So you're going to love this interview. Can't get enough of Sherlock? Portland Stage offers special discussion events for every show. The Artistic Perspective is hosted by Artistic Director Anita Stewart and is an opportunity for audience members to delve deeper into the themes and creative questions behind each production through conversation with special guests. For Sherlock Holmes, The Artistic Perspective is on Sunday, October 30th at 4 o'clock and features guest speakers Dick Cass and John Clark from the main crime writers to discuss Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's enduring legacy and what makes a good mystery. We also have our Curtain Call Talkback series, which is a chance for audience members to talk about the production with the performers, exploring topics that range from the rehearsal process to character development to issues raised by the work. Curtain Call for Sherlock Holmes will be on Sunday, November 6th at 4 p.m. Hope to see you there. Hello, my name is Audrey Erickson, and I am the assistant director of Sherlock Holmes, The Final Adventure, and I am here with the wonderful Kevin R. Free. Kevin is directing the show and uh, has agreed to sit down for a little chat about the process. Thanks for being here, Kevin. Well, thank you for saying I'm wonderful. Please keep weaving that into this. I'll work it in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So we're about a week into rehearsal so far. Exciting stuff happening. How are you feeling? Uh, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good. I came in today feeling really energized about the work that we've done. I feel really happy to have staged the entire play. And one of the reasons I'm happy about that is because I also love to change everything. So I'm really happy about some of the changes that we're going to make. And I, you know, I think the, a lesson that I learn all the time is that you start off with an ensemble and then that ensemble starts to expand as we add designers and we add, you know, an intimacy coordinator as we add like today we added our fight choreographer and it's always a conversation about how to restart something that we've already started mm. and getting an ensemble getting a company to accept a new member of the company is not difficult but it is really just sort of a you gotta rewind for a second before you can move forward. So I, I feel really I feel really good about the way we accepted our new ensemble, our new company member today, and feel really excited about the work we're going to do tomorrow with it. Absolutely. And so you just spoke to how many different collaborators are are in Sherlock Holmes. And the show has a lot of moving pieces. Mm-hmm. As a director, what do you think your role is in kind of bring that all together? How how do you Kevin are free, the wonderful, make that happen. Oh, I better be wonderful. <laughs> uh, my answer better be. Well, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm saying this a lot, but I think even if a, if a production doesn't have a lot of moving parts, that our job as director nowadays and the 
during COVID times is sort of honoring the places where people are, what they're bringing into the room, right? There's a company member who lost a family member and, you know, there is a, a balance of embracing him and also embracing the work. Um, but the other part for me in general is holding holding the bag that says, okay, you can take this little thing that I've got in this bag because you haven't been on stage in three years. So, you know, so I'm happy to hold that bag. I'm happy to hold the bag that is the one that is holding space for people who have varying degrees of uh, speed with understanding staging or visualizing what the play is. At the same time, I know that I also have to be the person who has the vision of the piece and in mind. And it's really important to me, and this is for pre-COVID and post-COVID, is that my vision of the piece not get in the way, one, of the piece itself, and two, of the ways the actors want to create the world. Yeah. It's also important for me not to allow the things that they want to create in the world to to not mess up the world that we're all trying to create together. Mess up is a terrible expression. So what I mean is I have to be very clear about what the vision of the piece is so that when people are adding things to the vision, to the piece, that it fits in the vision. Yeah. And how do I justify it if it's not quite in the vision? How do I, how do we work it so that it really fits? I hope that answers your question. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay. And let's let's talk a bit more about the vision in the world of the play. Yeah. Were you a Sherlock Holmes fan before starting this process? Did you have to kind of brush up on your Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? What was your process I had coming to, into the play? I had to brush up. I had to brush up. I mean, I guess I'm a fan. When people say things like, okay, this here's a little story about me. When I was acting full-time and I was in plays, I never wanted anybody to bring me flowers. I was one of those people that was like, something I have to take care of. I just don't want your flowers. Please don't give me flowers. And I remember saying to somebody, instead of ex explaining that I didn't want to have to take care of them in a dressing room because they start to smell and blah, 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 blah. And I just said, I don't like flowers. And somebody said, who doesn't like flowers? What kind of person says they don't like flowers? Like, who doesn't like flowers? And I thought, yeah, you're right. It's not that I don't like flowers. I just don't want to take care of them. And so... I would be in the camp of, if you're a person who's just like, you just don't like Sherlock Holmes, I'd be thinking, like, why, what reason would you have for just out and out not liking Sherlock Holmes? I, I think, like everything in the world that has ever been made, it probably has, it's probably steeped in some racism, it's probably steeped in some ableism, it's probably steeped in some homophobia, there's probably all of that stuff, but I think I'd be hard-pressed to find anything that was created in the last century of the century before that isn't steeped in that. And I dare say there's stuff in this century that is steeped in it. So it is our place to make sure that where we can, we are telling the story in a way that doesn't marginalize other people. So I had to brush up on my Sherlock Holmes. I love Sherlock Holmes. And I have really, really, I, I've been reading stories and listening to podcasts and enjoying that. But also I've been watching that Sherlock, the, the BBC Sherlock with oh, Benedict so Cumberbatch. Good. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. I just love it so much. I just love it so, so much. And it has helped to inform me with this production because I feel like everybody thinks they're a genius somehow, right? And that's what this play is about, is 
how every single character thinks that they're some kind of genius. I think Watson is the only one that doesn't think he's a genius. And while our Watson is not a bumbling idiot, our Watson is a person who is who supports Sherlock and is looking at Sherlock. And we're going to look at places where, where Watson can be in the same place we are in terms of watching the play. You know, there are all these places that that Sherlock says, makes these pronouncements about women that are just sort of like, yes, they're sexist, but they're really, they really come more out of his lack of experience. And so like he just like says these things. And so I'm trying to figure out ways where we can, as we're watching that, Watson can look at us and be like, this guy, this dude, <laughs> he knows nothing about women. Yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. For you, what is the most exciting challenge of this play? I've never directed a play that has this much violence in it. So I'm excited about that. I have, I have directed musicals that star children, right? That have, like, I had a 20-person cast of The Wiz and a 15-person cast of Starlight Express. You know, that, that and they were all, they were performed by children. Uh-huh. And a 21-person cast for Godspell. So, like, I am used to d- directing traffic to mm-hmm. a certain extent. Mm-hmm. This is a big challenge because I'm working with eight professional actors who all have all have careers and who all have training and who all all have ideas about how to make a play. Some are more introverted than others. I think my particular challenge, and this is also another thing that I think is important as a director, is we're doing this play for a reason. We do what we do for a reason. Because we love what we do. So what I want is to make sure that everybody is loving what we're doing as we're doing. And that includes me. And that includes you, right? So like if I don't like what's, what we're doing, something makes me feel like this is a slog. And I have to, or a slag, what's the word? Anyway, it just <laughs> feels like a chore to come to work. Then I, then I need to figure out how to make it less of a chore. Yeah. So I think the biggest challenge is handling these large story arcs in this play and honoring all the little details of those big story arcs. I'm really good at having a vision and flying above everything and looking down on it. And I am less good at details. And so I am excited because this this is our week for really breaking it down and, and taking little bites out of it to find what's what and what's not what with this play. And what doesn't work with what I was thinking. You know, like there are things that I thought would work that are not going to work. And I know that now. So the greatest challenge is, for me, is looking at the details to make sure that they fit into the wider arcs, the wider story arcs of the play. Absolutely. And especially in a play like Sherlock Holmes, the details are so important. It's how you, it's how you solve the mystery. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Let's see. You're great. <laughs> you're great. Oh. Wonderful. Uh- <laughs> are there any moments that you're uh, most excited for audiences to see? Uh, the whole thing, obviously. I mean, yeah. Uh, and when it's a solo show starring me, of I'm course. totally excited to see that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not really happening. Nobody <laughs> believes that. There's been an ongoing bit about <laughs> a one-man Sherlock Holmes starring Kevin Arfrey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is never going to happen. Um, I can't really say. 
But I'm, re- I'm particularly excited about when they go to Rankenbach Falls. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about that. So that's all I can say about that, if that works out. Absolutely. I have one last question before we wrap up. It's a little bit of a silly one. I hate Do you- silly questions. <laughs> They're the worst. Do you have any Sherlock recommendations for the audience? I know you said you've been watching the BBC version. Okay. Yes, I do. I think the BBC version, I would say watch it all. It's interesting. Each season only has three episodes, but each episode is 90 minutes. Oh, it's a full movie. Right. Really, like really interesting. Watch the final episode of season one and then watch the final episode of season three. Oh, it's so good. So those are the best ones. And then there's like, I've been watching this other one that I only watch like it's popcorn. It's like (laughs) bubblegum with Morgan Fairchild playing Irene Adler. It's a series and I don't know where it was. I don't know where it came from. All I know is that I'm watching this Sherlock Holmes. And it really also even looks like it's been colorized, but I know that it was in the 80s. So Mm -hmm. it hasn't been colorized. Just like the colors look fake. (laughs) Yeah. Look for Morgan Fairchild as Irene Adler and then you'll know what series that I'm talking about. It's beautiful. Throw that into Google. (laughs) (laughs) Throw it into Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because I think that's where it is. Yeah. So that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kevin. Thank um, you. You've been doing great work. Oh, uh, thank you. I'm so excited for people to see the show, and it's been so great to be able to be in rehearsals with you. I've oh, enjoyed thanks, it so much Audrey. so far. Me too. Um, there's another Sherlock thing with kids. Oh, the Irregulars. Is it on Netflix? Yes. And they hire the kids to do the stuff? They're the Baker Street Irregulars, yeah. Oh. That's where the... It took now me... Now I get that's it. That's where the name comes <gasps> from. <laughs> it Shut took me a bit. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Boom. <laughs> I have to change this entire show. This New interview content. is over. I need to change everything we've done so far. My God. Let's get back in there. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's the one. Audrey. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much for your time, Kevin. And see you. See you at the show. <laughs> yes. I'll see you in rehearsal first. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this edition of Play Notes. As always, you can find a print version of the articles you've heard here on our website, portlandstage.org slash playnotes. Tickets for Sherlock Holmes' The Final Adventure are on sale now, so contact our box office by calling 207-774-0465 or buy them directly through our website. The show runs from October 26th to November 20th, and trust us, you do not want to miss it. We are also streaming this production online from November 9th to December 4th. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks for hanging out with us, and join us next week for an in-depth look at the historical and cultural impact of Sherlock Holmes. This episode was written and produced by Audrey Erickson, Maura O'Sullivan, and Nick Holmes.